You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who lived well and who died well, who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us. I call out to these ancestors who can help us deal with the challenges of our own time in an innovative and creative way so that we do not just propagate the unsustainable, inhumane patterns of the past, but that we draw on all that is good in our own time and we use that to give us strength to address that which is not and that which has not been good for a long time. And we ask these ancestors to stand with us, to help them to learn from their mistakes, to draw on their perspective and the reconciliation of their lives, that we might show up as the living and do a really good job here in our own time, making the medicine necessary so that those who are coming are proud to call us ancestors. And let us reach beyond the human ancestors to those other living things that share this planet with us. They have been here longer than we have. And we call out to these ancestors in their many forms all around us, the great, great web of life all around us. And we ask them to help us to remember that which abides. Help us to remember that which is special about the human heart. Help us to cultivate our humanity and learn to be better humans. So I call out to these ancestors and ask them to be with us here today as well. And as these ancestors gather round, let us gather ourselves from wherever our energy might be, drawing it into our head and from our head to our heart, from our heart down into our belly. And let us reach from our own belly to the earth and take a moment in your day to stop everything and just give thanks for your life. Thanks for this day and all of the wonder and the challenges that it brings. Thanks for this opportunity to change things as long as you are breathing. And thanks for the miracle of life itself. And with gratitude for this world around us and all of its diversity and beauty and challenge. We give enormous gratitude to all the layers of the earth and begin to reach down, reaching for the very center of the earth to draw on the energies that take their power from darkness. They draw their power from stillness and silence, and they are that energy that restores, renews, and replenishes. And so let us take a moment to connect here and begin to draw this energy up, up into our bodies, up into our day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we draw up the wisdom of manifestation, and may we learn from the earth how to live here in form in a good way. And as we draw this energy up, may it help us to understand who we are, where we stand, and what we stand for. 
and to build our sense of home and belonging on these energies, these energies that have true heart and meaning for us. Let us not just do what is taught to us without investigation, without testing to make sure that reality is true for our own hearts. And where we find that it is, let us build. Let us build a sense of home, a sense of hearth, and a sense of welcome to those who are other than we are, for we cannot do what is before us to do alone. And so we call these energies in and ask that which is other than we are, looks different, talks different, thinks different, to come into our lives to provoke us to truly become the men and the women that we have come here to be. And in this way, let us come to understand how to be in better relationship with our own selves and all of the inner dynamics within us as we come into better relationship with other people, with our environment, and with the invisible world. And let us reach out into all of these interconnected, interrelating relationships and feel into the great web of life. And let us take our right relationship with ourself from this place. And as we draw the energy of the earth up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind, feeling the connections and the interconnections weaving through our life, let us reach up and out the top of our head, out into the day, out into the weather, out into whatever life has for you in this moment as you reach up through what is, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way into the velvety blackness of the cosmic energy, reaching for the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, by however you conceive of it, reach out to it, see yourself in it and it in you, and begin to draw this energy down, drawing this energy of blessing and protection down from above, letting the radiant energies above begin to fill you, pour into your mind and your heart and your belly, and we draw these energies into yourself into this day, into our proceedings. We call in blessing and protection. We call in commitment and devotion and, and the benevolence of this universe. May we draw this in. May we draw it in in such abundance that we have more than enough to share with others, especially those who are not feeling it in this day. We call in the energy that illuminates the dark path, the energy that is the lighthouse on the stormy sea. We call this energy in that we might feel the beneficence of this universe and we draw it in with the understanding that this divine energy is equally present and available for all people, for all things. And as we draw this in, drawing it into our body and sending it down to the center of the earth, let us link up the energies above and below within us through our center channel and allow the big love of these two great legendary lovers to awaken the spirit of our own heart. And as our heart awakens in a world that would ask it to sleep, let our heart wake up and be unruly in calling forth that crucible of transformation and call up into that crucible the deep, deep passions of your own belly and draw down the clarity of your own mind and call these energies together in the crucible of transformation in your own heart and let them move together each in their own way in this dynamic tension that gives birth to a third and ever so sacred thing which is some sense, some inkling, some feeling, some memory, some awakening of why you are here. 
And may you find in that human heart some courage in this day to do something large or small to bring those gifts into the world. And for all the spirit help that helps us all to do that, I give enormous gratitude. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way for good, that is good for all living things. I'd also like to speak... um, the human living things named Karen and Edward and Brian, Lauren, Carol, Joshua, and the people that by our hands we make our way in the UK. I'm grateful for all of for your financial donations. For those of you who are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is uh, listener supported. And that is because of donations, small donations by listeners like you all over the world, that we are actually able to keep the show live and available to you on the air and all of the archives available at YouTube, um, at iTunes, and um, at whyshamanismnow.com and at co-creatornetwork.com. So there are over 350 hours of podcasts free because people like you are willing to allow that which moves your heart to move you into action in the world. And this is the most fundamental energy in shamanic work is allowing that which is meaningful to our heart to guide our actions in the world. And for this, I'm truly grateful. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com if you feel moved by today's show. Even if you moved to irritation and frustration, it's still your heart and it's still feeling and you've still been moved. So I invite you to go to the support page on whyshamanismnow.com. Scroll down. You can donate any amount, large or small. Um, It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And there's a lot of people that think um, that's actually not the case, that there must be, you know, thousands and thousands of listeners and how can we possibly need these um, donations. But, you know, the donations kind of stay the same every year. Uh, people change, people come and go. And so um, it is important. And as long as there is this exchange of energy with you, um, I'll do my best to show up and help us to understand the actual contemporary use of true shamanic techniques. So today we are continuing in what has become a three-part series on racism, the double wounding, and shamanism. And our guest Uh, continues to be, (laughs) thank goodness, Langston Kahn. Langston, uh, welcome, and thanks for being with us again. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful prayer. So for those of you who are just tuning in, Langston um, is a shamanic practitioner specializing in emotional clearing and radical transformation. Um, He is centered in New York, and he can be reached at langston at occupy-your-heart.com. That's also his website. He stands firmly at the crossroads, his practice informed by the Western modality of inner relationship focusing, initiations and traditions of the African diaspora, and contemporary shamanic tradition of the last mass center and the guidance of his helping spirits and his ancestors who help him to weave it all together. And um, we are not live today, but you are still welcome to email us um, with any of your questions about the show, either one of us, either Langston at Langston, L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N at occupy-your-heart.com or you can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right, so let's see. So in part one, we, which was two weeks ago, we tried to talk about racism 
from a shamanic perspective. In other words, with shamanism, you can't figure out a remedy until you've actually diagnosed the problem. And so we did some journeys and we looked at, um, instead of looking at racism as the big, I think of it as this big blob, this big, huge, systemic, ancient thing. And when you look at it that way, it's really hard to get a handle on it, I think. Not that we can't understand it, but I mean in terms of really fixing it or fixing us or whatever that might be. Anyway, so in part one, we talked about this idea of racism being a double wounding, of being a poison arrow, that there is the injustice, that blunt force, that piercing of the arrow itself, the injustice that anyone in their humanity cannot help but feel – And then there is also the poison, that insidious part that the arrow delivers um, that ultimately uh, turns us against ourselves, among many other things. So that was kind of part one. And so do you want to summarize part two, Langston? Sure. Yeah, I think in part two, we spent a fair amount of time um, talking essentially about ways that we can start to lean together into the discomfort if we want to actually change the system and really looking at certain ways that our unconscious racism or internalized racism in all of us um, contributes to systemic racism as a whole um, and how a big part of becoming a person who can be an ally or a person who can actually engage in creating change around these issues like racism, it involves in large part cultivating resilience within yourself through um, many of the techniques that you've discussed in uh, previous podcasts um, and cultivating also a certain level of emotional maturity that kind of allows you to be with your own inner experience and another's inner experience without becoming just reactionary um, and letting your own childhood wounds um, cause you to project upon the the person that you're engaging with instead of really leaning into the discomfort together and doing your best to stay in presence with each other so that something new can come out of that friction and that tension. You know, I was reading um, an article this morning by um, John Mehta, and the article is called It's Not About Race. Um, why do black people think everything is about race? And, you know, he's talking about why. And um, But I thought, okay, so why do I follow particular people? What is, you know, am I being racist and who I choose to in- educate me <laughs> in my reading? You know, I mean, I try to read about things that are not of my experience so that I can be a better teacher for a diverse community. And so I'm reading this, but I had to think, okay, so why do I choose to follow this guy and some of the other people that I follow? And I realized it's because they are writers that you can tell from their writing that they have cultivated resiliency and a kind of emotional maturity. And they, and I'm going to actually quote, uh, John right now he's he so he's the only person of color on a panel talking about race which starts the, I mean you're already you're just shaking your head right <laughs> anyway so he so he 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 says his thing and he talks about how 
that he's, you know, he speaks with a lot of emotion. I'm quoting him now. He says, I speak with a lot of emotion and sometimes that emotion is anger. That should be allowed because anger is a valid response to oppression. I'm not angry at you as an individual, but at a system of injustice. And then, of course, later on, another man on the panel, which he doesn't point out, is a white man. But if he, but if John's the only guy of color, obviously this was a white man, right, who says, I hope we can rise above the emotions and then get this line. Because he wanted an intellectual discussion using logic so that we can really get to the heart of the matter and not get derailed by him. (laughs) Because logically, we can't get to the heart of the matter. We can't get to the heart if we can't address emotions. And I just read this and I'm just like banging my head on my desk. But anyway, um, so I just wanted to acknowledge this piece that was recently um, posted online and, and, you know, and, and how he um, is addressing as we address all the time, which is we cannot be in our humanity and resolve any of the challenges of our time if we cannot learn to be in our heart in a way that is not either in denial of what is in our heart or emotionally indulgent and that we have to be able to be in our emotions and not get derailed. You know, that to Mm -hmm. be in emotions doesn't mean to be derailed. (laughs) The fact that I think the tricky, the tricky part with that is that I think a lot of people then want to say, well, then why can't, like you said, like, why can't we just rise above the emotions so we can have this conversation or why can't you just um, let it go, you know, or so, you know, so we Mm -hmm. can have a conversation, but without realizing that to be able to speak from that clear heart-centered place requires doing that sort of emotional work to cultivate that resilience and really be with those stuck or wounded places inside of us Um, because we can't just let them go. That's what we've been trying to do our whole life, or at least what many people (laughs) try to do, which is just to like ignore them or compress our emotions or, you know, because they're painful and uncomfortable and because maybe we don't even have the tools to engage with them. But the only way we can get to that place, I've found, at least in my experience, where we're able to be a little more clear in these fraught, emotionally fraught situations and speak from a place of heart is to be with those uncomfortable feelings in our own practice, you know, outside of those conversations before we even get to those conversations. And I, you know, and he goes on in this um, article to talk about how not being in our emotions is part of that normalizing force of our culture. It's one Mm -hmm. of the many things culture, you know, because race is a construct of culture. And this Mm -hmm. idea that we, we have to rise, we always have to rise above our emotions to have a conversation. It's like, well, only if you're emotionally immature, if you're actually emotionally mature, you can be with your heart and have a perfectly good conversation. (laughs) But he was just talking about just how that in and of itself is the normalizing and that the whole point of why everything is about race is because we are in our culture. It's part Mm -hmm. of, it is, it is part of the cultural story. And, um, and so I, it also, as I was thinking through this, getting ready to do the show today, I was also thinking about how, at least my understanding of shamanism uh, is that because shamanism itself has made me question these aspects of my culture, it, it opens me up to question my culture, period. That, mm-hmm. that, 
this um, the idea that I have to rise above my emotions, that it's the body, mind, spirit movement, not the body, mind, and heart. You know, all of these things. Well, I mean, we've got, what, 350 hours of me going on and on about different versions of this, but that that if we are going to engage as shamanic people in our contemporary world, we have to challenge our how we have been normalized by our culture because it is fundamentally inhumane and non-shamanic. So if you're going to be a shamanic practitioner, you have to question your culture on many levels. And this is one level that I think um, practitioners who are not of color or perceive of themselves as white people can avoid questioning their culture. And that's really thus our shows, right? So, so that's one thing, but let's, you know, speak to how important it is. You know, the one thing we didn't mention, which I think is always important about this is no one, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, it's my radio show. I'm doing it for free. So you have to listen to me. (laughs) My (laughs) humble opinion, no one has the privilege to not understand rank, privilege, and power every day. That this is always happening, it's always going on, and you're always in it. So educate yourself and pay attention to it in your everyday life. And that's another piece, I think, that we – ground that we covered pretty well in the first couple shows. So, you know, this comes back to why, you know, why are we bothering to spend three shows talking about this, Langston? (laughs) Yeah, I mean – well, just in the past, since the two weeks since we did the first show, um, there's been at least two police shootings of black people that I know of, and there might be more, but um, one was uh, Terrence Crutcher, Crutcher, who was shot by police simply because he had stopped on the side of a highway um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because his car broke down and he was uh, asking for help, and police arrived on the scene approached him as a victim rather I mean sorry as a as a perpetrator rather than a person needing help a victim and then proceeded to shoot him and kill him um because they felt like he wasn't being compliant with them as he was asking them for help um and there's you know this is all on video camera uh and I think that's one important thing to speak about too uh is that these police shootings that we hear a lot more about in the news now are not new it's more just that the the video cameras are new there hasn't been a like there there's there is a rise in police violence violence statistically but there but the fact that it gets the media attention it does i think really is more about the technology we have rather than this is a unique problem right now um and then the other the other person who was shot was this 13 year old boy um who the official police narrative was that he had a bb gun um, and that they thought was a gun that he had pulled on them. But in the the autopsy shows that he actually was shot in the back, um, which contradicts the police narrative. So another, you know, which which was also in the uh, case of Terrence Crutcher, there was also a contradictory police narrative from what was shown on the later released uh, dash cam footage. So, and then in these cases, statistically, you know, 97%, um, do, did not involve in 2015 police officers being charged with a crime. So there's really no accountability in this. This is just like a small portion of what people of color are facing systemically on a daily basis. Um, and uh, I mean, like just to give a few more small statistics, 
346 black people were killed by police in 2015 and 212 in uh, 2016. Um, and, they're, and they're three times more likely to be killed by police than white people or white presenting people. And fewer than one in three killed were suspected of a violent crime and allegedly armed. Um, so, and these are all coming from uh, mappingpoliceviolence.org, which draws its uh, data from some of the most comprehensive and impartial uh, crowdsourced databases on police killings in the country. But again, like police killings right now are, are something that's a big problem that's easy to flashy and easy to see, but just like a small portion of the systemic racism that people of color are experiencing on a daily basis. And I think that's part of the reason we felt we needed to, to um, begin this conversation on why shamanism now, uh, so that we can begin to bring our skills to bear on this one of a very big problem of our time that continues to become a bigger problem as our country, at least in the U.S., becomes more charged and divided. Well, and I think there were two, I think there are two things that finally prodded me into action, um, which is, you know, from a shamanic perspective and and the perspective of the ancient indigenous people pre-contact, the value for the vulnerable people in your community and the importance of those who are able to care for them is really a high level value. So the fact that children are being killed, mm-hmm. children, children are being killed. <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what is that? I mean, that's a piece of it. But the other piece of it for me, at least, is really watching our country and the world respond to the free flowing, you get to be as hateful as you want to be campaign going on in our um, presidential race and really watching somebody uh, just take the lid off, the political correctness lid off what is really seething in the in the emotion, in in the immature hearts of Americans, and the the hatred and the violence, and um, you know the reality of it. Uh, I mean, the good news, the only good news is that it's in our faces. But other than that, it is not good news. And, you know, the good news for us, I mean, you and me, and. And those who are in communities that are developing skills as we can begin to re- see the problem more clearly and respond. Um, but it's just – to me, it's um, frightening um, mm-hmm. uh, that this uh, – okay. So I was just south of the Mason-Dixon line, which is something I very rarely do. And and as soon as – and I'm just driving down this freeway in the passenger car and I can feel the thickness of the ghosts, mm. just the ghosts the, and the, un, the unhappy land for all the human blood that was spilled and all of the injustice, the, the Civil War ghost energy, the slavery ghost energy. And at least in the small amount of sort of sightseeing, quote unquote, we did, at least um, we were in South Carolina and South Carolina was had the um, – esteemed position as one of the the wealthiest colony at a particular period of time. And at least the write-up about that said, and that wealth was gained on the backs of 
they're black slaves. I mean, thank goodness at least that was acknowledged, you know, but the whole thing is hard. It's hard, hard history, um, hard on your heart to, you know, I, I, you know, you're in New York, I'm in Portland, Oregon, you know, we live far away from that, those ghosts. And yet they impact us all the time because they're our ancestors. So we're not as far away as we think we are. And at least through our shamanic skills, we can work with the ancestors and work with the unresolved ancestors in particular and um, cultivate strong ancestral helping spirits so that we have the capacity to work as the living with this the 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 deep deep history of unresolved um, ancestral I don't even know what the right word is. Everything seems too issues seems really small. <laughs> well, it's interesting. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that you say about those those ghosts being a little farther from. I mean, I, I don't even know that they are so much farther from us. Um, they're so intimately tied with our entire country. Like, mm-hmm. just for example, in New York, um, you know, Wall Street is built on an African burial ground, um, literally. So it's like, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's our our country is just so it's so intimately a part of our everywhere you go in our country, I think, in large mm-hmm. part. Um, but especially in in uh, places where we accumulate wealth and power, you really see that intimate connection, like literally some of the center of our country's wealth is built upon the bodies of African-American people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And out here we have the Japanese internment and, mm-hmm. it, you know, and we have literally taking land from. Um, you know, brown people, you know, I mean, it's just the whole country, the the racism through the whole country, the history of it, it's embedded in the history. And the important thing about that, because people do talk about this a lot, I see a lot of writings about this, but what I don't see in the writing, because it's often not shamanic, is the recognition that we are simply diagnosing the problem. It's a big problem, and you and I are a little bit, you know, reveling in the bigness of it right now. But the point is, you know, through shamanic skills and working with the unresolved ancestral energies is heavy lifting, even in shamanism. It is not easy work to do. Um, But actually, with that said, I wanted to share something because I was – did I share this piece about what the – I can't remember now if I shared this in the other two shows about what the – the ancestor said no i don't think you did okay so what so i'm working this this was actually the hardest ancestral healing i've ever done in you know a couple decades and harder than anything i've seen in any of our cycle community work because the two ancestors who we were trying to reconcile which were the parents of the child so there are these three energies that needed to be dealt with they were broken people um, the, they had been enslaved by another people and he had worked in some, you know, mine or something horrible. And she, and he'd taken his frustration and anger and hatred out on her. And, um, she was broken in that be, by the fact that once they had a child, he sold the child. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the child who was sold into slavery in but in the big house kind of thing in in the city versus in the mine camp was taken in by people that taught her um about her relationship with 
spirit and something bigger than she was and that it was as true for her as it was for any other living thing. You know, they really taught her to support her own humanity. And she was willing to help me do what needed to be done to ultimately basically just drag her parents to where they belonged because they they were – I've never seen people so broken. And what she said is, you know, I, I will, will help you do this, but I am done with you too. You know, I did the hard work to create a life for myself in this system and did not allow my spirit to be broken. And so to me, it was just this story of resiliency and her cultivation of it through people that taught her skills. And she said, she, this was what she said. She said that she learned that a human can rise out of great suffering, um, but not without the help of spirit. And, and to me, I'm, I'm not saying we all need to go to church and just forgive at all. I'm talking about shamanism, what it means to have a working relationship with spirit. And she said, a working relationship with spirit gives us the strength to rise above the impossible, the unimaginable, the unmanageable, and the intolerable. Um, so that we don't become broken like my mother and, my, and abusive like my father. Um, she said, you must stay able to love. She said, tell them that they can call on me. And this is her message to humanity. She said, tell them they can call on me. Tell them to call me Anna. I don't care who they are. I'm happy to serve anyone who would call me an ancestor. And I was so moved by her willingness to, to be to be the bigness she had been taught through her relationship with spirit in her manifestation as an ancestral helping spirit. And when you meet the ancestral helping spirits like that, you realize, okay, so we actually can do our part to face what is impossible. I mean, I don't know, that's to me, it's not just about dealing with what is unresolved. It is about what the true ancestral helping spirits help us to do in, in, in terms of our resiliency and our ability to be people who don't become abusive and who aren't broken and pass on brokenness. Um, and, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about this outside of race because I actually feel that racism breaks everyone differently. It just breaks them differently because it, to allow injustice, this is what I got from this spirit, to allow injustice and don't do what you can do to respond to it breaks your humanity. It's just as we said in the last two shows, that ask is different depending on where you are in the cultural dynamic. Yeah, I I mean, that's definitely a message I've, I've received a lot from my own ancestor helping spirits. And I think there's also the aspect that I've really felt viscerally, the more that I've sort of done healing work on my own ancestral line, felt how that actually is one of the wounds of, I don't know if racism specifically, but slavery certainly, um, where people get cut off from their people. People get cut off from their own ancestral lines. And people, and I think that's also... I mean, maybe it's a little, a little off topic, but that's that's a like you said, that's a that's something that affects everyone in this day and age. That that um, the the lack of uh, a family 
structure, not in the sense of like the traditional family, but in the sense of a mm-hmm. lack of like a land that you've lived on for a long time or a family unit that extends beyond the nuclear family. Um, you know, this this lack of connection to your history, which I think actually does play into racism because to me that is part of the definition of whiteness. Um, this sense of erasure, this sense of disconnection from your roots. Like, many peoples throughout history have become white, which which further shows how it is a construct. Like, for example, Irish people, which used, who used to be much more um, similarly treated as um, black people um, in the sense of, like, you know, no blacks are Irish allowed in this establishment. <laughs> or And there was a way in which then there was a systematic movement by Irish leaders to be assimilated into whiteness. Um, and, and it does involve a cutting off in some way from your roots, from your culture, um, from your ancestry. And I think that when we are cut off from that force of power, when we forget those roots and also that there, when we do something, there are thousands of people doing that thing with us that, that are dreaming us, um, it's we're much easier to manipulate, and we're much mm-hmm. easier to insult and belittle and 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 lose our connection with our own hearts. Uh, because if someone insults you and it's just you, it's like, oh yeah, you know, maybe they're right. I, I'm I'm a horrible person. <laughs> you know, it's like mm-hmm. whereas if someone insults you and you're thinking they are not just insulting me, they are also insulting all of these generations of people who made sacrifices time and time and again in their life to live well and die well, so that I could be here doing what I'm doing. You, you carry yourself differently. So exactly. That's only for me that I've, I've learned through my work with my ancestors. And that, for me, it's part of understanding that with this culture, I, I like this about the article that I read this morning as well, the idea that culture, it has certain positive aspects. It also has this, this normalizing and sometimes negative aspect if it's training you to be and feel someone other than you your own authentic self is to the extent that it it teaches us to be compassionate and humane that's a good thing but the extent that it it normalizes us into this very narrow shoot um is to me it's what i just see the whole thing as a pay-to-play program it's like mm-hmm. you pay by getting cut off from your roots. You pay by, you know, you pay by um, not being able to embrace a a broad and wide inclusive definition of beauty, a broad and wide inclusive definition of intelligence. I mean that there, there's, um, you know, who drove the movement of the Prozac nation if it was not depressed. Um, white women in suburbs (laughs) you know i mean it's like that because they're paying to play everybody's paying to play and and the bottom line is we would say well everybody but the straight white men but the truth is they are paying as well just differently and they don't know it yet but anyway moving on right let's move on we got we got a half hour here and we we want to really talk about actually using shamanic skills right yes Yes. So where shall we start with that? Um, We've been kind of talking about the relationship between privilege, racism, shadow, ancestral issues. We've we've talked about some elements of that. So why don't we why don't we tie that piece up here? You know, how we differentiate 
between, um, you know, what is racism, what is shadow, what is ancestral. And, and the reason we would need to differentiate is because from a shamanic perspective, it requires a different um, path to transform. That's, mm-hmm. that's why it's important to differentiate, not to um, uh, diminish something or, or vanish it. But to un- but to accurately define what's what, so that we can bring the right skills and tools to bear on it. In other words, if it's not a soul loss, it doesn't help to do a soul retrieval. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, with we with the distinction we made earlier about racism involving partly what we learned from our helping spirits, a wound of both the mind and the heart, as sort of two separate poisons in a sense or, or or the arrow and the poison but two separate wounds um to i don't know if it's a one-for-one correspondence but to me the ancestral piece feels a lot more related to the mind like those mm-hmm. beliefs that are carried by the unresolved dead that we're still swimming and we just think our reality whereas mm-hmm. the shadow is feels to me much more intrinsically related to the heart those those deep-seated fears and and projections and desires and fetishizations you know that are that are based on the parts of ourself that we are not willing to hold in our love that we've been taught we will die if we hold in our love um, by our culture and the spirits of our time and you know i think um the more that we work in the community with shadow the more convinced i am that you're right langston in the sense that while Jung happened to talk about shadow as a big piece of his work, and he's a big piece of psychology, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean shadow is a psychological issue. Mm-hmm. And I think Jung was actually trying to say that, that it really is an issue of the heart. And, and in that, because it's an issue of the heart, it is, a, it is humanity's issue. It is a, it is a human, an issue of our humanity as well. And so... Um, it's also a place in which we are all equal. And if we can show up, back to the vulnerability quote, if we can be there to be present for each other's stories, that peace can transform really um, powerfully and actually much more quickly than you would imagine given the damage that it creates in our life. And the damage shadow issues create in our lives is the repetition of patterns. And and I mean big patterns like poverty, teenage pregnancy, you know, a lot of these things that just keep repeating the same, I'm not going to be like my mother or my father, and then you turn out exactly like them. <laughs> a lot of this is, <laughs> is shadow. And, and it's not that hard to address through shamanic means if we understand it as a heart issue the ancestral issue is going to keep bringing us back into story of our bloodline the story of our particular bloodline um and so in that way i agree with you langston it does have a lot to do with our mind and how our mind uh and the stories that shape our mind um shape our reality and I know that that's a, a statement that gets bandied about a lot and really misunderstood because it's used often to blame people for their reality. Mm-hmm. And that's a real shallow misunderstanding of what that's about. But it's more, as you said, that the unresolved energy of the ancestors colors how we see reality, how we see possibilities, how we see ourselves, and and 
I have had people say literally, you know, they walked out of somewhere um, and I and I'm doing their long distance healing on their ancestral issues, you know, in the background here and they walk out of something and literally the world looked different. Because mm-hmm. those ancestral issues had been lifted off them. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have their own clearing to work through, but just how profoundly it, to, to lift those stories out of our mind in a way that they are reconciled and healed frees our mind. And, and, and that when we free our mind, it then engages with the world differently and that and our, creates a different life. And it, and, and it turns us into a person who is capable of working with others to create a different world. I mean, that's the next piece of it is what is the point of our own healing if it doesn't turn us into people who can work together to, to write a new story. Because mm-hmm. this is nothing short of needing to write a new story. I mean, anyway, um, so – the important thing, just back to using shamanism to do this, is if you don't have shamanic skills, this would be something that you would need to just take to a shamanic practitioner and ask them to help you diagnose what the root is of the pattern that you're re- you're repeating in life. Because all of these things pattern your life, right? And so you would need to diagnose what is actually at the root of the pattern that you're experiencing. And then based on that, um, a a highly skilled shamanic practitioner can just go off in whatever direction needs to be gone in, into ancestral healing or into working with shadow. And if you think those are the things that are going on for you, you need to make sure your shamanic practitioner can do those things because that's not in standard 18 months. Now you're a shamanic practitioner kind of training. It's not part of what people are taught. So it, it does take a little bit of due diligence on your part as a consumer, basically. But I would also encourage practitioners who, who are good shamanic practitioners that don't know how to do these two kinds of healings to educate yourself. Be available to people to help them because this is not the easy part. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, mean, I would love to see – I've seen a lot oh, of – I would just say I've seen a lot of people, uh, practitioners actually approaching ancestral healing in ways that I find actually ineffective. Like that, like and usually it's because then sometimes their clients are coming to me or other practitioners afterwards because it hasn't worked. And what that usually looks like is um, a, a, a quote unquote binding of the ancestors, like an attempt to sort of keep that like the way you would bind maybe an intrusive spirit trying to keep them away from that person because they're a harmful force in that life but because ancestors have access to our blood i find that's often ineffective um because they're so connected with us it's more like i think at a very base level the first protection you might want to start cultivating if you are having trouble with ancestors that are unresolved and, and causing problems in your life would be to, of course, first work with a practitioner, but if you can't do that yet, then to just start a very simple ancestor altar practice that involves calling in those good and true and beautiful and wise ancestor helping spirits, and it'd be just leaving a very simple offering of water and a candle for them just to start to build that relationship, reaching back to those ancestors who aren't unresolved, so because they can provide a level of protection from the unresolved ancestor to an extent. Um, yes, long term, you would usually 
need a need a practitioner's help to then actually go back and find those unresolved ancestors and where that unresolved pattern first started in your line and pull that whole pattern out. But you don't want to just be trying to like banish or, or bind an ancestor spirit because generally I find it, it isn't effective ultimately. Well, it isn't effective. And, and this is again the problem with practitioners practicing without a larger cosmology and understanding of kind of the bigger picture that's going on here because the ancestors have a role relative to the living which is to help us. And so if I'm an unresolved ancestor and I set out to pursue my soul's purpose and died, I'm going to protect you by making sure you don't pursue your soul's purpose because you'll die, right? Because that's an unresolved life versus a true ancestral spirit who has got perspective on their life and actually can see the positive aspects of having pursued the, you know, soul's purpose and the, the, and why the death happened and be reconciled with that as well and can help you to pursue your soul's purpose but perhaps less recklessly or cautiously. I mean who knows why the person died but the point is to have perspective on it. And so that ancestral spirit is going to be trying to help you. So you want them to be reconciled so their perspective is useful and not blocking. But binding them isn't going to work because it's not – they have a role. Mm-hmm. But But – but I also want to go back to the, the beautiful offering that you gave Langston for people to just to begin a simple practice with their ancestors because my experience is any room full of people that wants to can go with me through a visualization up, up way high up in the upper world to the luminous ones who are these collective ancestral helping spirits who really are operating um, equally as helping spirits for all of humanity. And it is um, overwhelming to arrive there. And so once you do arrive there in your own inner visualization or meditation, to ask for for a bloodline ancestral helping spirit to step forward to be the spokesperson for you so that you can actually deal with the huge volume of radiance and love and desire to assist that is present there in the realm of the true ancestral helping spirits. And most everyday people that don't really have, like you said, you know, we're disconnected. We don't have a strong sense of an ancestral connection are completely overwhelmed to the point of pathologizing what's really there for us with the ancestors, the true ancestral helping spirits. And so it helps to just call in a spokesperson and then begin to honor and work with that spokesperson at the altar as Langston described. So there is a beginning there and it is a, it is a, it is a powerful beginning of cultivating your own working relationship with true ancestral helping spirits. Um, so where should we go next, Langston? I think one quick thing I might like to also say is just that I find that the feeling is different when what you're really up against is an ancestral issue or a shadow issue. And, and, you know, again, it's like most helpful just to go to a practitioner and and work with them to suss this out. But if you're just trying to get a feel for it, I feel like the, the ancestral pattern is often like this being overtaken by this wave or almost a feeling of possession, like you know what you're doing is kind of irrational, it doesn't make sense, or it's a belief that you know you shouldn't have, but you do, and you're still acting from that belief on some level. And it, no matter how much personal work you do, it still is coming out that way. And that, I think that's often what racist bias can sometimes look like um, for people. Um, whereas a shadow issue more feels like, at least in my experience, of like a fear rising up or 
just total blindness and unconsciousness. Like you're getting a lot of feedback from various people in your life that you're doing a certain thing, but you have don't think that that's true at all and you completely disagree with them. Um, so it takes a certain level of being able to trust certain people in your life to really be honest with you, to actually even begin to come aware of shadow patterns often and how we're engaging with them because it just feels like, okay, you sat down, it's like a very simple example, but you sit down to write a paper, then 10 hours later you realize, oh, you've just been watching Netflix all day or something. You know, it's like right. that could be the equivalent of like a shadow sort of possession, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't know, I just think it's useful to start to tease out what these different things feel like in your body so you can start to approach them differently. And the, I think the other thing is uh, the more you wrestle with something that is ultimately an ancestral issue, the deeper you go into it, the more impossible and, you know, you, you go into that vastness you and I were talking about at the beginning of this show. Whereas with mm -hmm. shadow stuff, the more you actually start to track the energy, it will disappear. Mm-hmm. And so and that so – that, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. I was just going to say that's just one of the ways also to to begin to sense as you're looking at the frustration of patterns in your life, what's the piece that you have the power to change within yourself? And I also want to say really clearly, we are not saying if you work on all this stuff in your life, the racism will go away because you're <laughs> exactly. creating it from your issues. We're not saying that. What we're saying is that we become people who can work together to transform the story that is the systemic racism in our culture if we have been able to do some of this healing ourselves and become more resilient, more emotionally mature, and able to start to see through the, the story, the cultural story. And so, you know, there's some of these examples that you brought up as we began the show, Langston, and talking about time spirits and how, for example, the um, unaccountable, um, irrational killing of um, black people, male and female, in, the, in North America since white people came and colonized things um, – you know, that's a time spirit that's been moving through this country and sort of putting on a different coat every, I don't know how many years, you know, it's like, but, but it's a time spirit that has really been living with us for quite a long time. Whereas right now, like you said, it's got this new technology around it. So it's shifting how that time spirit moves through is shifting, but beginning to be conscious in our awareness of our life of culture as a thing that shapes us and to start to take back your shaping of yourself. And like I said, to the extent that our culture does what the community is supposed to do, which is to help us have empathy and sympathy and, and cultivate um, ourselves as a humane individual and a responsible citizen, that's good. But my question today is what does it mean to be a responsible citizen? I think what it means today is the willingness to say no to things and this is what we'd like to do instead because the romance, the seduction of rebellion, you know, we've, we saw it all over the world recently. It's like, well, yeah, rebellion and then who's going to lead and are you going to lead any better than the people you rebelled against? And for most people, if you have done no work, you're not going to be any better than the people you're angry with because it's always that dynamic. So how do we grow into the people 
that and I believe we grow into the people by actually opening our hearts to these excruciatingly painful things that we share in this culture and each open from where we are in it and gain skills and address it so we become the people that can 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 respond to these time spirits and to our culture. I don't know about you, but personally, I get really pissed off that my culture tries to keep putting me in this box. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess I wonder if, you know, I know we're running out of time a little bit, but I wonder if you might speak to some of your understanding of, I feel like when people are first starting to do this work and applying shamanism to their work to decolonize themselves, to, to honestly look at their internalized racism and start to move it, um, it requires a lot of sort of seeing it, which is usually what we go to our helping spirits for because we have this shadow, because we might have these ancestral issues, because we have this, this, um, these biases and, and ignorance, and we don't want to wait to become perfect people before we start engaging in this work. So I'm right. curious what you would recommend when you are wanting to understand better where you are holding this internalized racism or these biases, if there's any techniques you might recommend for journeys that allow us to see in the dark, that allow us to journey even when we know we might be in denial or have a lot of fear around something or are blind in some way. Like how do we journey from that space? You know, and, and, and I'm going to take that back a step further, which is regardless of your religious affiliation, if you do not have an everyday problem-solving, working relationship with spirit, you need to get one. I mean, and this is something I talk about in, in Why Shamanism Now all the time, but if this is the kind of person you want to be that can actually get in here and and change this story with others who want to do the same, we need the guidance of spirit. That's what that ancestral woman said is we we get broken if we don't cultivate this. So the first thing is developing a working relationship with spirit. And by that, I mean when you have a question, you can take it to spirit and come back with an answer. I don't mean you just pray every day because there's nothing wrong with praying every day. But I know for me, that was not problem solving daily. And I can't imagine being an adult of any color in this country and dealing with the challenges of an adult life without a working relationship with spirit. I mean, I was a young adult when I learned to journey. I can't imagine my life without it. And all the and when I first started journeying, I was only journeying about personal issues. I had no calling to shamanism, no anything. I was just trying to figure out how to fix my fucked up life. So, <laughs> so first it is journeying. The next thing is I you know craft learning to craft good questions is fundamental. But then the in the middle of the journey while you're working with that question, you sense it's not learning to sense, is this really the deepest truth I'm ready for? And so I used to just ask, can I please see a deeper truth? Or what would I see if I was not afraid? And this is in the middle of the journey. Or what would I see if I was not in denial? And, and, and relative to culture and racism, this is going to be a big one. Because there, uh, for people of privilege, there's a lot of denial and just unconsciousness around privilege. So when you ask to see beyond your denial, you're going to see a whole different world. And 
as with any human being, when we're in pain, and, and especially unjust pain, there is um, a blindness that is created by the pain itself, which is completely understandable. But if we're seeking answers, we need to ask to see past the blindness of the pain. And that doesn't invalidate the just the justness of the pain. It just allows you to see past the glare, I guess I would say, of the pain itself to begin to unfold what an answer or a path forward or you know whatever it is you're looking for might be. And that it's important to understand that in the journeys, you're just getting information. So the fact that you ask a question about something doesn't deny another reality, like in this case, the reality of the unjust pain. The fact that you're asking to see beyond it doesn't deny it. It just gives you more information. I don't know. Is that what you were thinking about, Langston? Yeah, I think that's all really helpful. Um, and I guess just I might add that in starting a journeying practice, like I've noticed a number of uh, my clients actually, when I ask them if they journey, they'll sort of say, yeah, like I have my own ways or own techniques. And often when we work more intimately together, they begin to see ways they could expand their capacity to journey because they're very much journeying from a place of the mind, of really sort of because our culture teaches us to think that way from the mind rather than the whole spirit and the heart and the and the body um they it takes some stretching and some time to enter and lean into that discomfort of engaging in all of those intelligences as we journey um and so because of this i uh wrote a blog on on my website occupy-your-heart.com which actually catalogs the why shamanism now um, podcasts about journeying and also just give some some initial tips as well. So that might be helpful for people as a resource too if anyone is just realizing they, if they want to engage in these questions that do have a lot of um, often a lot of fear around them or a lot of pain for people. Um, they might want to look back at some of those old past episodes of Why Shamanism Now which I think give a lot of tools to um, engage in a journey space in a way that engages all of our intelligences, all of our wisdom bodies. Okay, so everybody, that's occupy-your-heart.com for that. And we're going to close here today because we're running out of time again. And I think we're going to bring a – this is now turning into a four-part series. <laughs> and we're going to – because there's some there's some visioning pieces that we haven't had a chance really to talk about yet. And I think it's it's perhaps worthy of its own, of its own piece. So – yeah, so Langston. this week was very much about still individual approaches, and I think next week will more be about the systemic approaches that we might make just shamanically to racism. Yeah. Thank you, Langston. So thank you, Langston, for spending more time with me as we continue to grapple with this enormous issue. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. And we give thanks to our true, our good and true and beautiful ancestral helping spirits for gathering around us here today, those in human form and those who have been here even longer. We give thank you, for your, thank you for your presence. We give thanks to the energies above and the energies below and the heart that unites us all. Um, everyone, uh, see what you can do this week to bring your heart ever more present in all that you do. Have a good week.